Welcome to Highway Christian Community Sermon Downloads. For more sermons, please visit our website. We know you will be blessed as you listen. Take care and God bless. Good morning and welcome. We're going to have a different service today. Over the last few weeks, we asked people to write down their questions. Now, this is interesting because often... We get up to preach and to bring an answer, but we haven't really heard the question. And this is, we just wanted to give people an opportunity to, gee, I've always wanted to ask this, or I've always wanted to ask that, or, and I don't know who to ask. So, and I wonder what the rest of the church feel about it. And so we've, I've got about 35 questions in and I've selected a few that we hope to get through today. Okay. So we'll try and answer some of your questions. So. Are you ready for something a little bit different today? So this is how it's going to work. The question's going to come up, and then I'm going to have each person here take one minute to give a brief, quick answer. But to keep the two minutes, I've got a timekeeper here. Colleen, Colleen, at 50 seconds, she's going to raise her flag. <laughs> that means you've got 10 seconds to wind down. And if, you don't, and if you don't complete it, she's going to jump up and wave that flag. And I wouldn't get on the wrong side of Colleen. Donna, I've already offended you. I haven't even started. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. And if uh, at the end of the morning you don't know what the answer is, uh, Dave says go to Donna. She knows everything. All right. And then I'm going to give one person sitting here an opportunity as well. So we're going to go one minute, one minute, one minute. Somebody out there who, now listen, this is, it's to answer the question. It's not to ask another question about the question. If you've got another question, please feel free to write it down. Drop it off at the information desk. We might do this again. Okay? A little different to what you used to? Good thing. Good thing. So, have you got that? So while they're speaking, when they get to Dave, or this way, whichever way, whichever Dave we end up with, you, if you've really got something you don't think was covered in answering the question, not a new question, then just you lift your hand, I'll select somebody, I'll wind up. That gives us around, we don't have to use up a full minute if we don't have to, but four to five minutes. Per question. Let's see how we go. Question number one. All right, that should get you thinking. Okay, here we are. Why are children baptized when they are still very young, like in primary school? Do they really understand the meaning of baptism and the commitment? Let's start with this day. Uh, this was a great question because I actually said to both my boys, uh, not to get baptized when they were a child, but to wait until they were older. The reason is I was baptized as a small child, and um, I often thought when I was in my mid-teens to early 20s, it would have been much more meaningful to get baptized. Um, So I actually encouraged my kids. So my son only got baptized last year. Um, And uh, so that's that's my answer. Okay. Um, Yeah, so I think at the end of the day, what you've got to realize, the spirit is not limited. Okay, to any age of any child. But um, children, definitely preschool, 
uh, don't have that full understanding of what baptisms they can they can grasp um, miracles they can grasp um, salvation but for their needs to actually um, say that I'm a sinner they, they can't really grasp at this point and they don't truly understand that baptism so I agree with what they've said that it's definitely I'd give them a little bit more years into possibly high school even longer than that if they need but you do get mature youngsters that can take it but uh, I think preschool is definitely still too young for them as you can all see my wife knows everything <laughs> um, yeah I agree with both the previous speakers I think if if somebody wants a young child uh, a primary school or whatever to get baptized then I think it's very important to establish uh, maybe through an informal interview or something like that uh, the child's understanding of what they are doing. Okay, anybody there saying a part of the question wasn't answered? Just raise your hand. I'll get Steve to get the mic to you. There is one at the back there. Okay, we'll wait for you as you're going. So this is something in that there wasn't answered here to that question. Why is the child wanting to get baptized? Is it the parent wanting the child to get baptized? That's a question the parent and the child must answer first. Yeah, that's, that's a very good comment. Thank you. I remember hearing a very renowned worldwide evangelist by the name of Jimmy Swaggart saying that when he was five years old, he knows he got saved. He went up to the front, gave his heart to Jesus, and he felt an the presence of God. He knew Jesus from five. And the next Sunday he wanted to be baptized. Because he read in the Bible that it's a commandment and it's walking in the, into the, through, through the, the Red Sea, into the promised land, you know, the type and shadow of baptism. And he wanted to do it and he was forbidden because he was too young. And he says it really broke his heart. So can you hear in that? That there's a variety of understanding. But yes, it has to be something done between mother, parents, and the child. Okay, next question. Uh, Bill, did you want to say something quickly? What, what, okay, we'll give him 30 seconds. Eh? <laughs> um, one of the questions that are always thrown at me around baptisms is, if, if my child doesn't get baptized, will he go to heaven? Okay, and that's a pure misunderstanding that baptism doesn't save you. Being born again saves you. And baptism is the outward declaration of the miracle that took place when you are baptized, buried with Christ, and raised to life. And if you haven't been baptized, it's something you should do as a Christian. It's not good advice. It's a, it's a commandment. It's part of being, walking in what Christ has called us to do. Question number two. What is the unpardonable or unforgivable Sin. I'm so glad Dave's first up on this. I so sorry, should I let that Dave go first? Yeah. Because I... um, well, according to, to the word, it, it is blaspheming the Holy Spirit, which probably would only be done by a person who would really have an understanding of what they're doing. I think many people in the world blaspheme without realizing what they're saying. But I think it's, it's, it's the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit by a person who has a full understanding of what they're doing and they're doing it intentionally. 
I, I, in, the, in the word Jesus, actually, when I think he spoke about that, he spoke about the Pharisees, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Yeah, in Luke 12, 10, it actually says, and anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And I think the word blaspheme um, it actually means to speak evil of, defame, or revile. And at the end of the day, if we all look at uh, Saul, before he became Paul, actually blasphemed against the Holy Spirit. But he does mention later on, and I think some Philippians or in Timothy, where he actually says that he did so ignorantly and the Lord showed him mercy. So I think there has to be um, a knowing that you're doing it, firstly. And if you, if you have done it and you are sorry and repentative, and your heart is right before God. You know, you, you're sorry, so I don't think you, you're blaspheming. Yeah, so, but it's, no, it's, it's when, you matu- when you mature and you, and you actually blaspheme him, it's like walking away from him. It's like a reprobate, a reprobate that just walks away completely from God from sinning, you know, and, and will not, un- oh, no, oh, thank you. You must hold that flag up, eh? I think that the majority of the Christian church would be guilty if this was the case. For instance, Azusa Street, when they first started speaking in tongues, they, so the unpardonable sin in Jesus' context was denoting to Satan something that the Holy Spirit's doing. So when Azusa Street started, people speaking in tongues, they said it was the work of the devil. The mystics started healing people. They said it was the work of the devil and then burnt them as witches. Toronto, when think God started to move, they said, no, it's of the devil. So if this really was the case um, of attributing something to Satan that is Holy Spirit, then most of the charismatic church has probably already committed the unpardonable sin. Secondly, the context is, is Old Covenant. New Covenant hadn't started yet. So this was an Old Covenant comment dedicated specifically to the Pharisees. Thirdly, it's in the Synoptic Gospels only. And the Synoptic Gospels look at it in a very different angle. Fourthly, if it's unpardonable, then it would be going against Hebrews 13, Corinthians 7, Colossians 3 where there is nothing unpardonable in the New Covenant. Yeah, good answer. You see the context, um, I'm going to let one person go, and then I will, sorry, Graham's hand was up first. Yeah. I thought that the unpardonable sin was unbelief. And if I'm a Christian... How can I do anything against the Holy Spirit? Because I can't lose my salvation. I can't walk away from God because He's in me. Wherever I go, He comes with me. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Graham put very simply what, what Dave outlined in a very broad theological category is that simply when the work of the Holy Spirit is to convict us of sin, of righteousness, and come in judgment. When we put our faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes in us, and God says, I'll never leave or forsake you. So by believing, we've got the Holy Spirit in us. If I go out and accidentally use his name in vain, that's not the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is to reject his work of bringing conviction of sin, of judgment, and of righteousness. So as a believer, it is therefore impossible to commit the sin against the Holy Spirit. Only those who reject salvation can commit, are committing 
That's it. Good one. Good answer. Thank you. Okay, so how are we doing? Well, we're doing quite well. We're under our five minutes per question. Thanks for our great timekeeper. Give it up for Colleen. Yeah, give it up. Don't miss around. Okay, question number three. Why do people not get healed after coming to be prayed for? This time I'll start with you. I guess the first question is, is why did you wait to come to the front to be prayed for before you were expecting your healing? The second question is, why do you expect to be uh, sick in the first place? Um, so, you know, there is no magic formula about getting healed. Coming to the front is, an ex- is a step of faith. And usually in churches, we raise a level of faith so people respond to that faith. But the reality is, is that healing is something in the, in the covenant that we have. And it is something that all of us should ultimately be coming healthier and healthier because that is the work of the covenant within us. Um, but coming forward, look, there are many, 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 many times that people don't get healed. I, I love this one. Um, I don't take the praise if I get healed. I'm not taking the blame if I don't. Yeah. Uh, it's completely the work of Christ in me. Good. Why do people not get healed? I think um, Jesus actually mentions uh, a time where he takes a blind man and um, he prays for him. And then he asks him, can you see anything? And the man says, I see things that look like trees. And then he prays for him again. And if you read just before that, he was talking, he came from Bethsaida. And he, he spoke about a prophet in his own town is not accepted. Um, and it actually says that Jesus laid hands on only a few people there. And only a few people actually received healing. But he actually says there because of their unbelief. So I think unbelief is a very big thing. You know, if you, you can have faith, but are you really believing that you've already got what you've got? Okay, no, no chirps from the peanut gallery. Peanut gallery. Um, it's a very difficult question, actually. Um, my, both my parents died of cancer, and both of them were saved. They loved the Lord. We anointed them with oil. We prayed over them, but they weren't healed. And I don't think that's God. I think God wants each and every one of us to be healed. But at the same time, I would hesitate to judge a fellow Christian with regard to their faith, etc. So, uh, I don't actually know the answer to that question. That is probably the best answer to that question. Anybody? Steve? Um, the best explanation that, that um, I have is that when Jesus came down from the Mount of Transfiguration, the disciples were rebuked by Jesus because they couldn't cast out the demon out of this uh, little boy, epilepsy out of this little boy. And so he asked the uh, father, "Uh, do you believe? And the answer is so significant. He, He said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And I think that's the crux for most of us, and uh, like what uh, Donna was was saying, it is we just need a a mustard seed worth of faith, which we all have, but it's these massive symptoms of uh, 
unbelief that are preventing us from receiving because they're speaking louder in our brain than the Word of God and the truth. Very good, very good. Just, just hang on. Sorry, I also got a thought here. I just want to... I, I think often we, we bring our understanding on a topic down to our experience that we're in. So we try and reinterpret speaking in tongues because it doesn't make sense to me to common languages. Or we try and say, well, the healing was only in apostolic days because I didn't see my mother-in-law get healed. Instead of, I think what Dave said right at the beginning about if I don't take any praise for a healing, I won't feel any blame when they don't get healed. That's very important. Because when we pray for someone and they heal, there's a sense of, I know that that's supernatural and there's mystery in healing. And what other Dave said was that sometimes the best answer is, I actually don't know why. One day I believe I'm going to know why. When I stand before the Lord, it'll all become clear. But while I'm on this side of the grave, I have to believe in a superior covenant that says all our sicknesses were healed. How that manifests in this life through into the next life is a matter of thinking around the new birth. Because when are you getting eternal life? After you die or when you got born again? When you got born again, you got eternal life. So you received full healing. And you'll live that out into eternity. But let's not now swing the other way and say healing's only for post-grave. Healing is a mystery why everyone does, doesn't get healed, we don't know. Okay, how are we doing? Yeah, five minutes of question. We spot on. Okay, question number whatever it is. Four. Sorry, it's cut out on that screen for some reason. How do you hold on to God's love when things have been so difficult for so long? Now, I know no one feels like that. I know that person's only speaking for themselves. Everyone's life looks wonderful till you get to know them. And then you see everyone has something going on. We've all got stuff. How do you hold on to God's love when that's happening? I think you've always just got to know that God is good. That we, we have a Father who loves us. And that's got to always be first and foremost on your mind. And I think when, when things go bad, how do we understand that? Is that it's a renewing of your mind. It's spending time in the Word of God. It's being in His presence. It's, it's maturity that eventually you can get through those, those times. And you know what? Bad things do happen. The Bible says that in this world you will have trouble. But take heart for I've overcome the world. It's, it's really just hanging on to Him. It's, it's knowing and getting the word in you so that when those bad things happen, you speak truth out, you speak joy out. Instead of depression, I've got the joy of the Lord. When finance is wrong, you know what? My God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. You've got to take your circumstances and speak the word over it. Um, yeah, to that person, you know, I'd like to say the words of that song that we sang today about how the love of God casts out the fear. Um, I think it's very important for you to realize that that's the thing in your life. You know, there used to be an old Methodist song that a choir used to sing. 
count your blessings, name them one by one. You know, sometimes it helps to stand and look back and just see what God's done for you. Um, all the many blessings every day that you don't even realize is blessing you. Sometimes Satan will use, you know, people close to you. Sometimes he'll use circumstances in the day to try and destroy your joy. But you must hold on to your joy with everything you've got because it's your strength. And he can't destroy that. So fix your eyes upon Jesus. My, my heart really goes out for this one because we've been told over and over and over again in charismatic land that all we have to do is just say these magic little prayers and suddenly everything will be okay. And that's just so not the case for so many hundreds of thousands of people, starting with the guys that were in in the Holocaust, who loved God and sat there and said, God, God, where are you? Um, to, to the Apostle Paul, who was shipwrecked and beaten. And if anyone was supposed to see the, the blessings of God, it surely would be the Apostle Paul, but lived a life of suffering the entire his life. The reality is, is that Christ in me is the hope of glory. The hope of glory. Um, and that the, the whole thing about uh, doing this journey called life is that Christ is with us and in us and it's context the context isn't that we will live a life of roses the context is that through our trials we will find Christ in us who is that hope of glory my heart just goes out to people who feel in the faith so you've got to put your hand up quickly in this church eh? I think what I would say to this person, if this question came to me, is don't try to put effort. This sounds like effort. How do you hold on? Mm. Don't try to put effort into holding on to God's love. Let God's love hold on to you. Mm. I like that answer. Okay, we've got a little bit of time still. Um, I think, you know, what, what Dave said just now was so important about the milestones, looking back, and What is that, love? She's holding on to your love. Oh, okay. And press stick as well. <laughs> okay, don't count that time, man. Uh, if, if we have to look back over, you know, 30 years of, of God's faithfulness, look back at the mil milestones of God's faithfulness. Um, that is what helps us to defeat the enemy tomorrow. And I just think of David when he faced Goliath. And um, what, he, what David did was he looked back and he said, the same God that helped me to kill the lion and the bear, that same God is going to help me to take your head off today. Mm -hmm. Amen. Thanks, Terry. So many people I know of. I just look around and I'm just like scripture quoted out of Corinthians shipwrecked, beaten, 40 whips, minus one. But then he says, I consider everything else rubbish compared to the knowledge of knowing Christ. He goes on and says, I count these things like nothing, dung, rubbish, compared to just knowing Jesus. And I know even now I can feel my heart being drawn to people who are saying, why, Lord? How much longer, Lord? Just for a moment, can we close our eyes together? Just, let's just lift those people up in prayer right now, crying out, Lord, how long? Like the psalmist, God, I'm surrounded by 
my enemies. I'm surrounded by these fears. I'm surrounded by these lies. How long, oh God? And we just stand together as a community now. And we declare that for our God, nothing is impossible. Our God will just with one word change the outcome and the situation if we will trust Him. From a place of trust, there's rest. And we call out to you now, Lord, for people who are just feeling like, Lord, I believe, help me with my unbelief. I've tried and I've tried and I've cried and I've cried. But right now, Lord, we pray by the joy of the spirit that comes into our inner man, that people will rise up out of this place of, of bondage and pain and questioning. Lord, right now, let a smile of confidence, a smile of trust begin to break out in their spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to move on to the next question, number five. What should be our view of fasting? Okay. Um, I mentioned this in the preach last week, actually, um, that fasting um, traditionally, or certainly when I was growing up, was in some way linked to if you really want to get something from God, then you needed to fast. It, it, it was a, involved in the context of being transactional. Uh, but actually, uh, the Pharisees and the Jewish used to use it as a form of purifying the mind, uh, centering yourself. In fact, in all the five major religions, fasting figures in all of them as a form of centering oneself. So it's a spiritual discipline. Dallas Willard says that fasting is something that people should do on a regular basis. And of course, the dietitians now say that fasting is also very good for you. Um, so I think as a, as a part of spiritual discipline, fasting is a, is a very good thing to do. But it's not a transactional uh, kind of pulling God's arm and you're suddenly going to get something by fasting. So that's my view on fasting. Very good. Um, I think I'm going to go with what Mary said when they were turning water into wine. Um, whatever he tells you to do, do it. And I think that it's just being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. You'll know if you need to fast. Um, I've done a 21 water day fast and I can tell you that it does center you. It gives you um, so much, uh, like just brings you back to where you should be. It, it, your body just has no say in it, and it's hard. It's hard. It, I'm not going to tell you it's not hard. It's very hard to fast. But that's the whole beauty in it is that it does help you to see things from a spiritual realm, sometimes that you can't see. Um, it, I, I battled with unbelief. I fast. Uh, and it's amazing how suddenly my faith then starts to rise. It's just what, what, what it is. Um, I'm not, I agree with both the speakers. I think it's not a transactional thing. And it's not something you're going to get a great blessing for if you do it or if you don't do it. Uh, I think it's, it's for yourself. And it's to purify your mind and your body. If, you, if you're going to want to pray, going to the time of prayer or something like that. So it centers you. And it centers your faith. Amen. It doesn't change God's heart. My wife She's used her minutes up. Sorry. <laughs> okay, anyone feel something wasn't added? Uh, just raise a hand if you feel something on that question wasn't touched on. And got a hand? We got a hand. I see that hand. Every head bowed, every eye closed. The world record for fasting is 382 days. 
just living on fat and water. All our diseases today are diseases of excess. We can live on less. We cannot live on more. I agree with Donna. Fasting is very, very hard. If the fuel you're using for your body is glucose, because glucose is eight times more addictive than heroin, cocaine, and alcohol combined. But if you're running on fat and ketones, fasting is very easy. Thank you. That's an interesting added uh, perspective for on that, which is a good one. I think a lot of people also come out to be prayed for because they're sick, but then you find out they're drinking 20 Cokes a day and 15 slabs of chocolate. And then they want a quick fix and they say, why doesn't God heal me? So there is a very common sense view. Fasting is a, is a purification thing. But let me add something that I don't think was covered, is that fasting is not just about food. Fasting is a good discipline for TV. Fasting is a good discipline for um, Facebook and uh, social media. Fasting, it's probably harder for some people to stop social media than stop eating. And then we can also decide to go on a 21 fast of grumpiness. You know, don't be grumpy for 21 days. That'd probably be harder than not eating or drinking water for 21 days. Or go 21 days not talking negatively about situations. Oh, now, Pastor Steve, you've gone too far. It's impossible. I couldn't possibly get through one day. Amen. So fasting is also a way of life. Amen. All right. Let's move on to question number six. Why do we not hear more preaching from the book of Revelations? Amen. I actually don't know. <laughs> Ask the pastor. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, look, re Revelation is, what's the word, apocalyptic? Apocalyptic. Apoc apocalyptic, yeah. Um, and it, it's John's interpretation of his vision when he was on the island of Patmos. Uh, he'd actually just been, uh, come out of being dipped into a pot of oil, a torch of this man. Yet he came, he was exiled to, to Patmos and these are the visions that he saw. And I think many of these things are open to interpretation much of the time. There are, just correct me if I'm wrong, but about four or five different interpretations yeah. of, the word, of, of Revelation. And I think it's a difficult book to preach on. I, I, would, I would probably be uh, a little bit put off if you asked me to do that. <laughs> I also agree. I, I'm not sure why people don't preach too much. I think it is, it is as Dave said, that there are different interpretations, and I think um, those people are learned in the book of Revelations, and they can speak on it. I, I just know I can't speak on it. Okay. Uh, if you ever go to an art gallery and you look at a picture, there are, there are going to be lots of different interpretations of that picture. Or depending on what mood you're in, what age you are, where you are in life. And the book of Revelation, just like most of Ezekiel as well, is pictorial language. It's written about things that people have no knowledge of, but they're writing it down under the, under the guides of the Holy Spirit. Um, I'm not even sure if when you preach, you have to preach out of everything in the Bible. I think the Bible is there for us to hear from the Holy Spirit for ourselves in and out of season. So I, I don't blame people. I've been a pastor for many years, and I've only preached about 
I've only preached out the first seven books of Revelation or the last one. Um, everything else is like, oh, okay, well, I'll find something uh, better to preach out of. And this really is, it's a picture language, and a lot of it is just open to interpretation and, you know, premillennial, second Adventism, post-millennial, amillennial, there's all of these different things. At the end of the day, I, I actually think there are better things to preach on. So, uh, but that's where I'm at. That's an interesting answer. Um, brand new Christian convert goes to his pastor that first Sunday and says, what must I do now, my believer? He says, well, you should read your Bible. I don't have a Bible. He has a Bible. Thank you. Next Sunday, pastor speaks to young new believer. So, have you started reading the Bible? Yes, I have, but I'm terribly confused. Why? What are you reading? The book of Revelations. Pastor, oh no, I should have maybe guided you what to read. Did you get anything out of the book of Revelations? Young man, in the end we win. And I thought that's great. If Revelations is there to show us anything, whether you're a priest, post-millennialist, or a, a pan-millennialist, or a... in fact, James Preston did an outstanding on Sunday nights. <laughs> Sunday nights, we had a he did a four-part series on Revelations. We covered the different uh, facets, and it was very good. So it is in our bookshop still, and you can download it. Okay, did, was there anyone out there going? You haven't covered, you haven't covered, you haven't covered this. Okay. Have we got time for one more question? Oh. Do we have a, someone wants to add? If the pastor is praying and waiting upon the Holy Spirit, if the Holy Spirit wants him to preach on whatever part of the Bible, that's what he will preach on. Because the word comes from the Holy Spirit and not what man knows. That's a good answer. Because they're asking why is there not more preaching, eh? <laughs> okay, I think. <laughs> I am um, nice and shortened to the point. Uh, you can, oh, no, I'll it okay, it's uh, 25 past. I like to try and keep my word around timing. I know for some people it's not important, but we've got time for one more. And then we're going to pray. Are you getting something out of this? The questions that we can all ask at times. When does the church make us members? I don't know if I should start. <laughs> okay, well, if you attend our church, there, goes, there are four calls that go out in a year, more or less, okay? Um, for people to become members of our church. And uh, if you are here, the clipboard gets passed around and you can take up that opportunity to be a member of our church and what will then happen is that we'll have a class with you, basically just some tea and coffee and explain what our church is about, introduce you to what our church believes and hopefully you've been coming a while and you like what you see and you've enjoyed our worship and you feel like this is where you want to be, and this is your family, and this is your home. And if that's what you want, you put the name down, you become a member of our church. Yes, well, she's answered the question for me. Um, and since we don't make people members, they, they normally indicate that they wish to join the church. So, so anyway, yeah. 
I think the only distinction is that we are all members of the church by rights of our brother and sisterhood in Christ. Um, so in that respect, we're all members automatically. Obviously, if you're in the Baptist streams and other streams, being a member gave you voting rights and you're part of the Constitution. There isn't a Constitution in this type of setup. Therefore, being a member doesn't carry any rights, legal or otherwise. Um, being a partner with a vision is probably a nice, a better way of saying it. Um, partnering together to outwork a vision that God has put for a local group is probably a great way. Um, being a specific member of a church, well, I think in, in itself, it's probably an anathema to say that. We are brothers and sisters by default, the blood of Christ. Yeah, so that covered quite a broad view of the question. I think um, when we invite people into co committed covenant relationship, membership of this church, we always make it very clear at the beginning, when you were born again, you were born into the body of Christ. And there is only one church of all time and of all people, but it has its expression in a local covenant relationship in a community we call our local church. And that is very biblical, but added to that is the fact that biblical times, a city only really had one church. And that opens up more questions, which I said I wouldn't do. So, anybody, anybody want to add to that something? Hands up, 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 hands up. Was that a hand? I wasn't sure. Well, if no one else puts their hands up, Graham will. So, thanks, Graham. You said it all because I thought I but belong to the church when I got born again. Yeah, amen. You did. It's like marriage is an institution of God, but I have one wife at a time. Your love for your wife and your love for your husband is a love for the institution of marriage. How much you as a husband love your wife is telling every other woman out there how much Christ loves his church. And as you as a wife, as you walk in unity and support and love for your husband, it's the same. So your commitment to this big thing we call the, the church, the one and only universal church, cannot be expressed more than your commitment to a local community, the family that are in covenant friendships with one another, who live sacrificially for each other, pray for one another, and most importantly, love one another and, lost, and love the lost world out there that needs Christ. You will hopefully you know you belong to a church that's got a vision for the unsaved and for the unsaved in this country and in other nations. Amen? That's how we become. That's what it is to be a member. We're going to skip a few of these. Well, that was the easiest question of all of them. And uh, Jay, Jay came and got some tissues because he's starting to cry. When he saw this question, and listen, just before the, 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 the palms get too cocky, they got a few games to win. <laughs> Guys, it's been interesting. There were a whole lot of other questions. Maybe we'll have another Sunday like this in a while. And if you've got a question that came out of these, or one you've just thought of, why don't you write it down, drop it off at the information, and let's get to hear what people are thinking. And let's give a round of applause to our Great panel over here. Thank you for your contribution.
And to all of you, let's stand up together. I would like to just pray for you before you go. Thank you, Lord. Jesus, we don't have all the answers. And we don't pretend to know it all. But thank you that through your word, you are leading us to have our minds renewed to a new way of thinking and a new way of living. Thank you, Lord, that this house is a house that you have planted and that this house is a house where community exists for those who want to find community and that this house has a vision to reach the lost. We declare, may God's blessing be upon you today. May His peace be upon you today. And may He make His face shine upon you today. And all God's people said, Amen, Amen. amen.